Are you a Dragon Boat athlete? Have you ever thought about joining a team? Hornet Water Sports makes high-performance, lightweight, carbon-fiber Dragon Boat paddles. You can choose from one of their many graphic designs. Don't settle for just a boring black paddle. I love their design so much that I have four different paddles. They also have all of the Dragon Boat accessories that you need, paddle bags, tip covers, tape, and more. Visit their website at hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK at checkout to receive 10% off of your order. That's hornetwatersports.com and enter the code PINK. Strokeside Designs is a New York-based fine jewelry company focused on water sports. This is the best jewelry I have found through many years of searching. I love my Dragon Boat Paddle Heart earrings and my pendant. The jewelers at Strokeside Designs have worked for famous jewelry houses such as Tiffany & Company and Cartier. All of the pieces are hand-finished from fine materials. Express your passion for kayaking, canoeing, and dragon boating. Visit PaddleJewelry.com and get free shipping with the code PINK. That is PaddleJewelry.com and enter the code PINK. Carrie Goldberg joined me on the podcast today. She is a breast cancer survivor and one of four owners of Handful. Carrie talks about being diagnosed with breast cancer, the treatments, as well as her decision to stay flat. She openly shared that she was self-conscious about being flat, but regained her confidence after being introduced to Handful Bras. Carrie talks about how she became involved in the company and how Handful is supporting breast cancer survivors. Take a listen in as Carrie shares her story. Welcome to Behind the Pink Ribbon, where we share stories, information, and other content related to breast cancer. My name is Melissa Adams. I am a 12-year genetic breast cancer survivor. I've learned so much through my own journey with breast cancer. I have met some amazing people along the way, many that have become lifelong friends. I have experienced the emotional roller coaster of a breast cancer diagnosis, heartache, anger, frustration, loneliness, and even gratitude. Through this podcast, we will speak to breast cancer survivors, supporters, and healthcare professionals to gain insight and understanding behind the pink ribbon. <laughs> I'm here today with Carrie Goldberg. She was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma in 2006 at the age of 33, and she was diagnosed with late stage three breast cancer. And she also happens to be one of the four women owners of Handful. So welcome to the show, Carrie. It's so nice to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit. Um, first of all, you and I kind of know each other um, in a roundabout way um, through the SCAR project done by David J. And, um, you know, so that's kind of how we had connected. And then I had seen that you were doing something with this company called Handful. And I thought, well, this is really fascinating. I really need to talk to her and have her on the podcast. I love it. A SCAR project has connected me to so many amazing women all over the world. And it's one of the most wonderful things to come out of having to go through the nightmare of breast cancer. I agree. I agree. I love David J's work. Um, but, you know, and we can certainly talk about that, but I want to hear a little bit about your story and, you know, how this all happened for you at the age of 33, you wouldn't necessarily be getting mammograms. Um, you know, so tell me a little bit about how this, you know, started for you. I would say that we'd have to go back to when I was 30 years old, to when maybe I first had a quote unquote awareness about something that wasn't supposed to be there. And I had just given birth to my first child. I was living in Brooklyn, New York and had brought the baby home. My milk had come in. I was like on fire to 
breastfeed and I felt a lump. And in my mind, having read every book there was, I'm like, ah, it's a clogged milk duct. This is mastitis. I don't need to do anything. I'm just going to call and let them know and I'll get it taken care of. So I called and they didn't even need to see me. They said they just called in an antibiotic. I took the antibiotic. It went away, but it never felt the same on that side. So the entire time I was breastfeeding, I knew that that side felt different. And when it would be emptied, it was like this hollow painfulness that I couldn't quite ever put my finger on. And so I was always aware of that part of my breast as being different. Well, I but think it's interesting. It. I'm sorry. I, th- I think it's yeah. interesting that it went away. Like mm-hmm. whatever. Well, the pressure. Yeah. yeah the, okay. pressure the pressure of, went away. I, I think maybe it started as an infection. I don't know that it was okay. necessary. You know, they say it's growing eight to 10 years before right. it's palpable. So who knows? But something was going haywire in that proliferation of cells dividing that is, you know, lactation, the state of lactation in a breast. But I went on to have another pregnancy that ended in a miscarriage. And I also think that ripening of my breast and then losing that baby, who knows, maybe that contributed to something because then, of course, I felt funny on that side again, but didn't think anything of it because I was, quote unquote, so healthy. Right doing everything right and from food to fitness. Um, Then I had my second daughter and when I was breastfeeding her was when I was like, something feels wrong here. And it was a Skittle that turned into a junior mint that turned into, I need to get this seen, but I'm such a Google online diagnose myself that I'm like the responsible (laughs) thing to do is to wait until my annual appointment. I'm not going to trouble them with this. I'll just make a note to myself to bring it up at my next appointment, but then move to a different town. The time to um, have the annual came upon me called and they're like, we're not booking out for three more months. But I thought, I thought, you know what, I'm just going to mention this and see what happens. And I was very fortunate to be living in the Portland, Oregon area, like we had moved from New York back cross country. And I think the healthcare system here is amazing. I feel so fortunate, especially in the midst of this virus to be where I am now, having just had stitches put in yesterday. And, you know, our healthcare system is amazing. And they said, we'll see you tomorrow. So uh, went in and the doctor said, smooth, round, movable, all benign characteristics, probably nothing don't even call your husband, but just to be safe, I'm going to send you for an ultrasound. And that was the beginning of my journey because of course it wasn't nothing (laughs) from that point forward. So, you know, kind of back, I'm thinking back with your first child, did you, did you call? Like, did you, um, I mean, I, I know that you talked about, you know, you got an antibiotic, but I mean, was there, any other concern other than maybe an infection or, you know, a clogged milk duct or was there anything? You know, I, I don't have any risk factors. I'm part Asian. There's no, not that that's infinitely protective, but there is no cancer on on that side of the family. There's none on my dad's side. I, uh, I probably led them down the path of it's a clogged milk duct because I had self-diagnosed, but I, I mean, I, I wonder if I had come in, if they had felt it, if they would have felt something different. It just, you know, they were engorged. Like, it was surprising only because of the location that I could even feel anything at all. 
it's just, it haunts me when I think about how the relief that I would feel every time I would breastfeed on that side is the pressure would be gone when the ducts were emptied. And mm-hmm. so like something was pushing on maybe a tiny seed that was in there at that time. I don't know, but in between those years in between, except for the miscarriage, like I had zero awareness. There was no like even monthly flare. And I was just lucky because mine was 12 o'clock right on the surface. Like I didn't need to be pushing deep in to feel it. I could, I could lay down and feel it all night long. And anybody who I asked to touch it from my girlfriends to my then husband, like you could feel it Hmm. right on the top. So yeah, lucky what the, it was there. Yeah. Because well, of course, yeah. I'm thinking, you know, this is kind of, this is over the course of three years, mm-hmm. you know, and to have that experience, you know, three times really, um, mm-hmm. you know, to know that something was wrong, but to, you know, but for nothing to, to kind of come of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, I always find it very interesting. Like we always create our own stories you know, like we will tell ourselves stories about things. Um, and, you know, it's not right or wrong. It is just, you know, kind of what we do um, mm-hmm. because it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense as a 30-year-old, 32-year-old, you know, 33-year-old to mm-hmm. be thinking that it's breast cancer. No. And I remember living in New York City and seeing the cover of the New York Times magazine where the model with a mastectomy was depicted on the cover. And I remember in my twenties saying out loud, that's never going to happen to me. I'm going to do all these things. Like in my mind, I was breastfeeding because I didn't want to get breast cancer. I was having a baby as close to age 30, you know, got pregnant at 29 because that lessened my chances. So I was hyper fixated on not getting it while at the same time being the person who got it even with no family history. So I, I always feel like I had some underlying awareness, but I was on the wrong side of it. I was like, that's not going to be me, but it it was me. And that push to have children earlier than my New York City counterparts, I think I'm thankful because my biology knew that that maybe was going to be a door that was going to be closed if I had waited. Yeah, that's Because of course, you know, yeah. I mean, really, that's, that's, um, you know, I I think back to when I was diagnosed and I was 31 um, prior to that breast cancer never even crossed my mind. I never, Mm -hmm. it wasn't anything that I even thought about, Mm -hmm. let alone thinking that it would ever become a part of my life. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so, so did they do a mammogram at all or they just sent you for an ultrasound? No, it was an ultrasound, you know, because of course the tissue was so dense, a mammogram wouldn't have worked. And the the ultrasound was super traumatic because it was like, technician calling in the specialist gathering around the worried looks and there I was alone like knowing but not knowing Uh immediately going to biopsy um piercing that tumor being like the most painful part of the whole thing because I don't I guess the numbing medicine hadn't kicked in and I feel like it was the emotional pain of that thing finally like bursting and you know finding out I had nine positive lymph nodes and that once everything was said and done and I'd had, um, a lobectomy didn't, I had to start with chemo actually first because of those nine positive nodes. They were just like, we're not even going to talk about what's happening with your boobs. Like whether you get a reconstruction or not, like we're going straight to chemo. So, so let me pause we, real quick. Ahead. Sorry. Sure. Um, 
But so you did the the ultrasound and the biopsy in the same day? Uh, maybe, maybe it was 24 hours difference or maybe it was far, far hours later, but it was okay. like within a very quick period of time. Okay. Those but the, two things took place. But, but at the biopsy, you had somebody with you? Um, yes. Okay. By then, yeah. So he okay. either called and came that afternoon or because now it's like 14 years. So it's hard, yeah, hard to remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I was just kind of curious because I know there are some people who really they go in, they have, um, you know, they they are um, felt up for a lack of a better word. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, they have an exam and then they're sent for a mammogram and then an ultrasound and then a biopsy. And it all happens in one day and they're by themselves. Um, yeah. You know, so I was just kind of yeah. curious. So. Um, so, okay. So they decided because of the nine positive lymph nodes that they were doing mm-hmm. a lumpectomy. Is that what you said? Well, no, that, that chemo was going to be what happened first. Oh, chemo and happened so first. all throughout the chemo, it was like, you don't even need to see a plastic surgeon. We're going to shrink this thing. And then we're going to be able to take it out with a lumpectomy. And, you know, who knows what the thinking, whether it was different 14 years ago versus now, but like, I, I listened to them. I was like, Oh, great. We're going to shrink this thing. And I could feel it shrinking all throughout chemo. Cause of course, you know, I did dose dense and it was, it took me down and, but I was convinced that it was working. And so we went for the lumpectomy and it was like, mm, didn't, didn't get it all, but I think we can get it the second time. I'm like, okay, an apple and an orange, I can live with that. Like, let's do it. Second time, ah, t- didn't get it all. Like, and the inside of it's still dividing, like, you know, not a complete pathological response, right. not looking good. And then it was like her two positive more often on both sides. And he said something about quote, chasing invisible cancer. And I was like, so there was DCIS around the invasive and then come to find out when I had the double mastectomy that I had did have other tumors on the other side of clean tissue. So even if he had just taken until we got clean margins, there was more tumor underneath that wasn't at 12 o'clock and palpable. And so, you know, I ended up with just a double mastectomy and like a hurry up at that point because the radiation person was like, um, the the nodes under your arm need to be radiated. Like we can't be like expanding you now with a reconstruction. And then, so that's kind of how I ended up with a double mastectomy without kind of preparing, saving skin, doing anything. Um, and, you know, everything was just making the best decision you could when there weren't really good ones to be made. That's it. Just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, that is that is the truth of it. That is all there is. Yeah. You know, you're just kind of thrown as, into this situation. Everything's kind of swirling around you. And you're just like, I really don't know what to do. I don't have time to process, but I'm going to make the decisions the best that I can. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I know that, um, well, I just recently heard that after... I think it's about after 16 weeks, I think, um, that the efficacy of radiation diminishes. Um, yes. So kind of waiting for that, you know, expansion process. So did you, so in terms of the reconstruction, did you do reconstruction at all? Did you do radiation prior to reconstruction, after reconstruction? Like how, what was that process? So, you know, from the radiation person waiting. There was also the, um, you know, needing to start Herceptin. Um, and you know, the concern that chemo, which was supposed to be my, my big win didn't work at all. It was, it was kind of like you let's, let's work on boobs later. And 
that later kind of has never come for me because I, when I went in for that last breast surgery, I said, look, like, I don't know what the future holds for me, but can you make me the two most beautiful symmetrical flat scars um, ever? And like he delivered because I love my chest. It's completely flat. My young daughters at the time who were four and one, um, we have a neighborhood pool and one of them said, your scars look like two mouths smiling at me. And so I'm like, okay, like I've done a good job of making them feel like this is, this is who I am and it's positive and it is what it is. And of course, over the years as, um, developments have been made, I looked into moving a piece of my butt and my inner thigh, transplanting it up to make a flap. And then, you know, and it's just, it always ends up with, to me, movement, yoga, fitness, yeah. I, flexibility, being able to do whatever I want, unencumbered, climb mountains, whatever it is. Like I, I, I can't see myself slowing down for questionable, you know, results cosmetically. Right. Um, so that's ends up how I find my passion and my life's work with Hamful is that choice. Yeah. Well, I think it's, um, you know, I mean, this is, 14 years ago. So, you know, it, mm-hmm. it at that point in time, you know, going flat wasn't necessarily the conversation. No. Um, you know, it wasn't, I know when I was presented with my options, being flat wasn't one of them. Um, no. So, you know, was your plastic surgeon on board with that immediately or was there kind of any hesitation? No. I, plastic surgeon was definitely not on board with anything because I did go consult one and it was like he wanted me to delay radiation to make his result as perfect as it could be, which is understandable if that's what he's coming at it with. Like, yeah, it's not going to look good given the extensive radiation I was going to need with an extra booster. You know, it, if if his work was going to be the be all and end all, like I couldn't follow his protocol. So he couldn't promise anything. And I don't think he wanted to work with me anyway. So that, that was like left such a negative taste in my mouth that I actually just ended up using my, a regular surgeon, a thoracic surgeon who he happened to be, he had never done flat closure before, but he does, he's just a good surgeon and he was recommended by a a friend. Um, And so he, you know, he didn't question my choice. I think he was surprised by my choice, but I think that my circumstances were so dire at that time that I think he just, he just did a, a beautiful job and I was able to sit with him on a panel a few years ago and thank him and he, he cried. So it's like, Aww. I know it was not, you know, it was a very special set of circumstances and I felt like I was very much so fortunate again to be in the healthcare system that I'm in, in my area. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's fantastic because I know, you know, just in doing the podcast for the time that I've been doing it, I've interviewed a number of people who, you know, they were either denied flat closure, um, Mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, the outcome wasn't exactly what they were expecting. You know, they might have, um, you know, I don't know exactly the technical terms, but I always think about like the dog ears that I have, Um, but those kind of things, you know, it's not a a complete flat and, you know, it's... Well, the assumption that you'll change your mind... Yes. And that and that they better leave that skin because you're going to change your mind, like not actually believing that the patient knows what they want. And I was so clear that like this was what I was going to be living with for the rest of my life, that the way I asked, he was able, I think, 
to do exactly that. So, you know, it's, it's hard. Like it isn't a, it isn't an option presented to no. most of the people that I talk to now. So I, I feel for people cause I just got lucky that I had somebody who was willing to, to listen and honor my wishes. Yeah. Well, and I think the voices are getting louder. You know, mm-hmm. there are many women who, um, you know, at this point in time are opting for the flat closure, um, yes. you know, and really pushing for those options to be put on the menu. Um, you know, anytime somebody comes in looking for that reconstructive option, um, you know, consulting with a plastic surgeon. I mean, I think it, it has to be a part of the discussion. Absolutely. And I was perfectly happy living as a flat woman for five years. Like I had little kids. I was, you know, not, I wasn't concerned about it. I, I did change in the bathroom stall at the gym. I did go to classes where I was in the back cause I, I was self-conscious about it, but it, it was okay in my mind. And then my neighbor introduced me to Jennifer Ferguson who founded handful and that, um, that meeting was kind of what changed the whole course of my life because she had this bra and she wanted me to put it on. I'm like, I don't need a bra. Like I'm fine. Just how I am. Like, leave me alone. And so I put it on and I could not believe when I looked in the mirror that I think maybe reconstruction women feel this when they have their bandages off. I finally felt after five years that I returned to the person that I was before and mm-hmm. never like I put that, I'm like, Oh my God. And it's comfortable. Oh my God. And it's cute. Oh <laughs> yeah. God. Actually my sports bra is cuter than your sports bra and you don't <laughs> even have cancer. And so it just one thing led to another. And within three months, just wearing that foundation garment, that unconscious rounding forward, because I'm thinking about what's missing. No one else is thinking about it, but I'm aware that I'm flat under my clothes. And, you know, when I bend over at the playground to pick up my toddler at the time and someone looks at my shirt and it's like, you know, like that, that that's never a good feeling or like, yeah. sir, because they, you know, my hair was still short from chemo grow out. Um, you know, like it's just those, mo- those moments of, you don't need to be reminded publicly by strangers that you're living in this alien body that Absolutely. I loved, but yeah. But it's just so, yeah. So well, and it three happens months, too. Oh, go ahead. Um, you know, it does happen too for those of us who've been reconstructed, um, you know, where it, there are parts of my chest that are crinkled or there's mm-hmm. a hollowed out part. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, again, it's exactly what you talked about, you know, bending over to do something and then you realize, oh, my top goes a little lower than I thought it did. Yeah. Um, yeah. And somebody can see that. Or, you yeah. know, people who are like, oh, yeah, her boobs are fake. And like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are. Yep. Um, they tried you know, to so, kill me. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. you know, totally not the same, but kind of get an idea of, you know, exactly what you were feeling. So tell me a little bit about um, Handful. Um, you know, I know that they offer a number of different things, but I do love the work that they're doing specifically for um, those who have gone through breast cancer. Okay. So after... I put that bra on and I started to wear it every day just because I was like, Oh, I can wear all my old clothes again. Cause women's clothes sometimes have darts or uh, yes. places where you just, it just looks more for me 
more balance to have a little bit of projection on top to balance the growing projection on the bottom when, you know, (laughs) (laughs) after I had my ovaries and my uterus out, like somehow it didn't sink in, it got puffier. But um, that being said, not just the cosmetic reasons, but I went to, because of the bone loss that I experienced from treatment for an estrogen positive cancer, my endocrinologist said, how did you grow a half an inch since the last time you were here? And the only thing that was different was that I was wearing a foundation garment every day. And so I think for me, Mm. someone who's had extensive surgeries to the chest, radiation that's always going to try to involute and convolute back inward into like this mess, like something that helps me stand up straight, throw my shoulders back, project my, you know, my pads proudly into the world. Like, that helped me with posture and uh, just feeling stronger and more confident. And that translated into going to the front row in yoga class and changing in the main locker room. And, and those kinds of things make w- contributed to my healing in a way that I didn't expect. And so after wearing the bra and just helping out a little handful, ended up just falling into never wanting to leave and becoming a part owner of the company. And now my role there is to reach out to survivors and be that advocate who sits at the intersection of cancer and fitness. And I really do believe that part of why I'm still here after such a terrible prognosis is um, because one thing I can control is the movement that I do every day. And so what we do at Handful for Survivors, because of course, 90% of our business is just a regular fitness consumer. But for those women, those one in eight women who are going to become you and me somewhere along the way, we hope that it's a speed bump for them. If, if not something that they, even for our Met sister, something that they live with for their lifetime, that they still continue to move. And if a, you know, a sports bra helps them do that. We give a lifetime 30% discount to any breast cancer survivor. So, of course, you could use your insurance benefits to get a pocketed bra from us at um, oh, that's at Sloan Kettering, you know, at Dana-Farber. Like, we're carried at mastectomy boutiques. But for a lot of people, they want to save their mastectomy bra benefits for a more expensive product or for their silicone forms if, right. if they want to do that on the outside of their body. But... You know, if you don't need one more form to fill out, we just give a lifetime direct 30% discount. And now we don't just give it on our bras, but we give it on all our active wear. So if you need new leggings, if you need a new top, it's always you should feel. (laughs) Yeah. And you should feel good when you go to work out. And so there's something about having an outfit that if that makes you feel good, then we want to do that for survivors. So in addition to that, if you're flat like me, we also give the additional pad sets free of charge to any woman who's lost a breast to cancer or even who has a lumpectomy and who's uneven. That's just something that we do as part of our, our mission to support breast cancer survivors. And then also the Young Survival Coalition, which was the organization that how I found the SCAR project because of a post and the message boards was how I found my peer support community. Because when I went to the hospital support group, I heard, I want to dance at my grandson's wedding. And that didn't feel like it applied to me at all. And so I stopped going and, but I needed that support. And so the YSC, the the Young Survival Coalition, we um, donate 12.5% year round for our Battle Cry Pink bra colorway and why 12.5 percent it's because it represents the one in eight women 
still being diagnosed in our country. So absolutely. Well, and I love it. I mean, I, um, I think that what you guys are doing is great. And, you know, I, had seen a couple of things, um, you know, just because you and I are connected on social media, but I've seen a couple of things that you had posted and, you know, it never really connected. Um, and then somebody had shared the link with me and I was like, this is amazing. But to be able to give 30% off to breast cancer survivors is great. I didn't know about the insurance, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is fantastic. Um, I, at one point, because I do have the hollow out, um, mm-hmm. you know, that just that one spot and it's right at the top of my breast. So it's just, you know, if I wear a specific shirt, it's just uncomfortable, um, for me. So I did get something, but what they provided was not sufficient. Like it just didn't work for me. Um, so mm-hmm. I never even used them. So, you know, I think that's great that it's a different kind of option. Um, yeah. if somebody wanted to use that money, um, in a different way that they could, um, And also maybe, maybe you've had a lumpectomy and you just need one pad on one side. Like that person could just like there, it's like a modular system so that hopefully, you know, for a specific subculture of like an active modern survivor who wants to wear active wear. Cause I'm like, that's not, it's not for everybody. There's lots of other amazing mastectomy bra companies out there that are making the, the pretty bra, the, you know, the comfort bra the post-surgery bra, like we're, we're for when you're ready to get back out there and move and you need a bra that's not going to ride up when you lift your arms up. And yeah, absolutely. So. Well, I love it. And, you know, I uh, definitely have shared that information with my dragon boat team because I'm yeah. always promoting physical fitness. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. So where can um, people find information related to Handful? So I think the best way to do it is to go to handful.com. It's H-A-N-D-F-U-L. And on the top navigation, you'll see survivors. And if you click on that, that'll give you a link to apply to get the 30% off code. And it's literally just five of us at Handful. So it might take me a couple days to (laughs) process your application, but I definitely will. And then you get a code that's good for for life because we we believe that we're in this for the long haul, um, moving every day as best we can. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, first of all, sharing your story. Um, and then of course, second of all, sharing the information about handful. Um, you know, my hope is that our listeners will take this information and go and apply to get that 30% discount. And, you know, I'm hoping that some people who maybe they are flat, but, um, maybe they decide to get a bra, they will also kind of experience some of those same benefits that you have. Yeah. We'll meet everybody where they are. And I want to thank you for what you're doing because I've been listening to the other stories and they they make me feel less alone when I hear what others have been through and the things that are similar and the things that are different. And I learn something every, every episode. So thank you so much, oh, Melissa. Oh, good. I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Behind the Pink Ribbon. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you or anyone you know would be interested in sharing your story, please send an email to podcast at behindthepinkribbon.com. Thinking about advertising on this podcast? Our ads not only create awareness for your brand, but also contribute to the continued growth and support of this show. 
Email us today and be on our next episode. Email podcast at BehindThePinkRibbon.com for more information. You've been listening to Behind the Pink Ribbon, produced by American Creative Consulting, mixed and mastered at Riverview Podcasting Studios. For more information, please visit designbyacc.com.